Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, July the 16th, 2019. It is currently 1.26 p.m. Central Time. Well, I think I have a very interesting episode for you, and I think you're going to find this to be well worth your time. Now, if you are a Christian, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, then obviously you've listened to a number of sermons. Hopefully, if you claim to be a Christian, you attend church on a regular and consistent basis, and there you hear sermons. Now, sometimes you can listen to a sermon, and you can find the speaker to be extremely engaging. You can like his presentation. You can like the sound of his voice. He can, he can tell funny stories. He can, tell, he can give you great emotional illustrations. And he can make some very good points that you have to agree with. You're like, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And, and yeah, that, I think that point's biblical. And, and yeah, okay, that, that was a really good sermon. I mean, the way he introduced it, the way he stuck to his points, the way he concluded it, it had a beginning, it had a middle, it had an ending. It, it, was, it was well put together. He's such a great communicator. There are times in that kind of sermon where you really enjoyed it, you really liked it, you really felt there were some really good points. Sometimes within that kind of sermon, something happens that people miss because they are so focused on, well, look, I mean, that was a very good point. That's a very good point that they miss the fact that in many cases, the Bible is actually being mishandled. And it's really hard to point this out to people because you're like, well, wait a minute. He gave me these three points. I mean, aren't they, aren't these points true? And the points could be true, but, but listen carefully. If the scriptures were mishandled, in order to make the point, even if the point is true, it's still not a good sermon because the scriptures were mishandled. And you're like, well, wait a minute. If the point is true, who cares if the text was mishandled? You should care because it's God's word. Our job is to rightly divide the word of truth, to interpret it correctly. And if you want to make that point, find the right scripture that makes that point being properly interpreted to make that point. Don't use a scripture that doesn't make that point. You have to twist that scripture, mishandle that scripture in order to make the point, even if the point is true. Now, I know I'm, 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 what I'm saying, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you're just, you're, you're, you're taking this too far. That's, that's such an extreme point. No, it's not. If we truly believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, then our responsibility is to read it and to study it and to interpret it correctly, not to make it say something it doesn't say, not to make it prove a point. Even if the point is true, if the text is not making that point, then you cannot use that point in the preaching of that specific text. You have to stop, leave that text, go to the appropriate text, and then derive that point through the proper interpretation of the text that actually teaches that point. Right? I hope that makes sense. I, I'm, I'm fearful that some people will not get that and will not understand it, but I've seen it so many times. Someone will go to a church and go, you know, hey, what do you think about the sermon from this Sunday? And you listen, you're like, well, they completely mishandled the text of scripture. They misapplied that. They misinterpreted that. But 
No, 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 no. I mean, uh, the points aren't, aren't the points right. Well, the points may be right, but he mishandled the text of Scripture. And they're like, you're getting, you're, that's too, you're, you're getting nitpicky. You're just looking for, you, you don't like the church. You're just trying to find something wrong. It's like it has nothing to do with liking or disliking the church. It's that I, I am supposed to love the Scriptures. And that, and I think we're losing that. Now, why, why am I starting this way? Why am I talking about this? Well, guess what happened? You can probably guess. I was in my car and I was listening to dramatic music, Christian radio. Dum, 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 dum. Right? Whenever I listen to Christian radio, you, you almost know if I'm listening to Christian radio, um, I'm going to pick up the iPad soon and record because there's always something to say about what I hear. In this particular case, I was in my car on Sunday morning driving to Victory Baptist Church, about a 20-minute drive, I think, for me from where I live to where the church is. And I kind of go a little longer way so that I can listen a little longer. Now, in this particular case, Sunday morning is a very dangerous time for me to be listening to Christian radio on the way to church um, because I, sometimes before I arrive at church, I, I almost have a seizure because of what I'm listening to because here in Abilene, Texas on 91.3 American Family Radio, we've talked about uh, them recently, um, 91.3 American Family Radio, they air... Pastor Rick Warren. Purpose-driven life. Purpose-driven church. Pastor Rick Warren. Now, to listen to Pastor Rick Warren on the way to church, if you care about the Bible, I would highly not recommend that because it can definitely ruin your mood and make you question, make you question everything. Rick Warren is a gifted communicator. No one can deny that. He's clever the way he puts his points together and the way he may, you know, use phrases that, you know, uh, you know, the, like this point and this point, they, they, they start with the same letter or they, or they sound the same or they rhyme or whatever. He comes up with clever ways, little, little, very clever sayings that are easy to remember. So when you're done, you're usually going to remember his points. Um, he's going to tell, he's going to use humor, uh, kind of this, you know, just all shucks kind of a humor, you know, down to earth, uh, relatable, you know, just sounds like he's the everyday guy. He's not, you know, he's not the biblical. He doesn't come across like trying to be a biblical scholar, trying to be academic, not trying to be deep, just very everyday wisdom for the everyday man. And you can see why he's appealing to a lot of people. You, I mean, there's no way to deny it. His, his ability to communicate is far greater than mine. I mean, there's no question there. However, sometimes when I'm done listening, I felt like, man, the points were good, but man, what was he doing with that scripture? What? We what? What? Is that what the point of that passage was? For example, is is the book of Ruth giving single guys a a, a model of how to pick up a woman? Right? When you read the book of Ruth, uh, do you see an example of, hey, if you're a single guy and you want to know how to find the right kind of woman, the book of Ruth is for you. Is that really the point? Is that really the point? What is the book really about? What is, what is the book really trying to say? How do you handle the book of Ruth? Now, why I point out the book of Ruth is because this past Sunday, Pastor Rick Warren on his radio program during his sermon, he ends up going to the book of Ruth to kind of try to make a point that, hey, single guys, here's how you pick up a woman. Now, his overall message is about gentleness, all right? 
That's his, that, that's his primary focus. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up the sermon, and I'm going to play it for you without commentary, without interrupting it, and I just want you to ask yourself this question. How he handles the text of Scripture, even if you agree that his points are correct. Now listen carefully. This is the part that is so hard for some people to be able to analyze sermons. Even if the point his, his, he makes is accurate, it can it be correctly taken from the text in which he uses? Is that the point of the book in which he's, is he handling the scriptures in an accurate way? Now he's going to turn to the book of Ruth. So this is what I, I did. I cut out the, just the, the introduction to the program in just the first few minutes. Um, he's reviewing some points he made. I think, I think uh, this one is part two in his series on gentleness. I think it's a four-part series. Um, he re is reviewing his points from, I think, part one, and they go through them quick. Part one, part two, part three. And then I, you're, when, I, when, I, when I go to his sermon, he's going to start by saying point number four, and then he's going to go into point number four. He doesn't stay with the book of Ruth long, but I want you to just see how he uses it because he's utilizing the book of Ruth to make a point. He's not necessarily going to the book of Ruth to expound the text. He's simply using the book of Ruth in order to make a point, and that's always dangerous. And every pastor it falls into this trap. We're trying to make a point, and we're thinking, oh, this scripture. Okay, this scripture will illustrate it. Now, it, it may illustrate it in a way, but you always got to make sure that I, if I'm taking an illustration from the text, is that the point of the text, or am I going to leave people with the impression that that's the point of the book? And and, and, and it's, I mean, preaching is a difficult thing, so you don't ever want to be too harsh on people. But I think this does serve as a good hermeneutical lesson to how to listen to a sermon, especially when they use a text of Scripture. Is it being used correctly? I've made the mistake. Everyone's made the mistake. But it is a good reminder. So I want you to listen to carefully. So this is what I've done. I'm going to start his sermon. Again, it's going to start with him saying point number four. And then I play the entire rest of it. Um, I have their little commercial that th they throw in the middle of the sermon, which is the most irritating thing in the history of mankind. You really need a commercial now. Now on Christian radio, if you listen to a teaching program, in the middle of the teaching program, you now have to get a commercial for that ministry. I mean, really? I can't just get uninterrupted teaching, you know, <laughs> without you coming in to, to sell me a product or to ask for money? I mean, can I just get a whole sermon? I mean, I'm going to start that, you know, every 15 minutes in any of my podcasts. Well, thank you for listening. Please note that the following message is supported by you, the listener. So please send me your money. Okay. Like, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's just funny. The people who have gigantic churches and gigantic ministries with million dollar budgets, they're the ones on radio asking for money. And then it's those of us who do podcasts who are pastors of little churches who barely have enough money to survive. We, we don't ask for money. I, I, I always find that interesting, but that's a whole different subject. It's just a, it's a trend. Um, I notice it on a lot of programs and it just drives me crazy. It's like, It'll be like a 25-minute program, 25-minute program. You get their introduction, 
and then you get their conclusion. Somewhere in that introduction and conclusion, they typically ask or at least let you know that they are supported by listeners. Um, and they sometimes will say, here's the book of the week. And if you want the book, you know, it's going to, it's going to cost you a donation of 15 or $20. So they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you know, push some product on you. Then they start the sermon and then somewhere, you know, in the, about the 15 minute mark, they break away from the sermon to give you another commercial. And then they wrap it up at the end with another commercial asking for money. And it's just, if that doesn't bother you, then I, I, I don't know what to say. It should bother you. But I'm going to play the whole thing. And here's the reason why I'm going to play the commercial and everything else. If I'm going to use his message, I believe, therefore, his ministry at least deserves to be able to promote what they want to promote and that all their contact information, their web address and everything else, their apps or whatever, that I'm going to give them the ability to promote it. Because I think that's only fair. I'm using... Part of his sermon, so I want him to be able to. I, I don't agree with him, but you know, I, I I always know truth will win out. So I I have no problem people going to listen to someone that I disagree with because if they care about truth, the truth will be victorious. I, I'm a strong believer in that. All right, so are you ready? This is Rick Warren. It aired here in Abilene, Texas, on Sunday morning. I think it was actually the program that aired on Friday on many radio stations, and they aired it again on Sunday morning here in Abilene, Texas on American Family Radio, which is 91.3 for those who live in Abilene, or you can listen to American Family Radio via their website or the VBC 66 app. Oh, wait, I do do commercials, but yeah, we don't sell anything, okay? So, so I do do a commercial at the beginning and the end. I do tell people to get the VBC 66 app. I, I guess you could accuse me of making that a commercial. I can't, I guess, maybe. Um, something to consider. But in spite of all of that, um, you can listen to American Family Radio for free on the VBC 66 app. And we don't, uh, the, when the app was created, just so that people know, there was a tab there for give, where people who use the app could then tap on the, uh, that section and give us money. And, we, and I removed that tab um, because I wanted the members of Victory Baptist Church to be the primary uh, supporters of the app and be the people who um, were using the app, you know, the most uh, consistently. That was that was the goal. So, I don't know. It's just it's always the interesting part of of Christianity. You know, I do understand ministries require money. I do know that. I just I just think sometimes it it goes it get, it goes over the top, if that makes sense. You know, like, you know, breaking in a, away in the middle of a sermon for a commercial, to me, seems to be over the top. If you want to do it at the beginning and the end, I guess that that's okay. I don't know. You, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up going in a completely different direction with this, but uh, it just, it just I, when I was listening to it a few minutes ago and it did that, I was like, oh, crazy. All right. So with all that said, with all that said, let's get to it. Here's Rick Warren this past Sunday. What I want you to listen to is how he handles the scriptures. You may agree with his points, but are they being derived from a correct interpretation of the text, or is the text being misused and manipulated even if the points are true? Here you go. Listen carefully. Let me know what you discover and what you think. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com. Members of Victory Baptist Church, live chat. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you hear. Let's talk about it. All right, here's Pastor Rick Warren. Listen carefully. God bless. Number four, this is a really big one, particularly if you're looking for a husband or wife. Number four, gentleness 
is attractive. The Bible says if you want to be more attractive, you need to learn to be more gentle in your life. Now this is true in both men and in women. Now one of the laws of life is I attract what I am. I don't attract what I want, I attract what I am. If you wanna attract a godly man, you have to be a godly woman. If you wanna attract a godly woman, you have to be a godly man. You can't be some rude dude in a crude mood and say, I really want one of those good women. No, you will attract what you are. And so gentleness attracts gentleness and godliness attracts godliness. Now, since we've got a bunch of singles in this service, for some guys, let me show you this. First Timothy 6, 11, here on the screen. Here's a, I'm gonna give you a guy, verse for guys and a verse for uh, gals. First Timothy 6, 11, as a man of God, and I want all of you guys to be men of God, as a man of God, pursue what God approves of. And then he gives you the five marks of a godly man. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He's mentoring his son in the ministry. He says, pursue what God approves of. And here are the five things that make a godly man. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and oh, by the way, gentleness. Gentleness. Now he says, God approves of godliness. What is godliness? It means I'm trying to let Jesus live through me. I wanna be like God, I wanna be like Christ. I wanna be Christ-like, that's godliness. And then he says, another mark of a man of God is faith. I trust God in every area of my life. Another mark of a man of God is love. You're loving, you're unselfish. Another mark of a man of God of endurance, you don't give up, you don't quit. You, you have endurance, you have diligence, you have determination. And then one of the marks of a man of God is gentleness. That is strength under control, and that is attractive. Now, I don't want to belabor this point, but for you single guys, I want to give you a little advice tonight, because Dr. Love is in the house. All right? Mm -hmm. Dr. Ricky Love, here he is. (laughs) Guys, if you want to attract a good woman, you need to do what Boaz did. Who? Boaz. Where is he? In the Old Testament. Where is it? Look it up. No, no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Boaz is in the story of Ruth, named after her in the book of Ruth. Now here's the story of Boaz. Boaz is a young businessman, and he is pretty successful. And he's got a wheat farm, and he's doing a good job, and he's, he's, got his, he's, he's got his business interest going pretty good. And one day he looks out on his field, and he sees some stragglers taking wheat from his crop. Now, he'd already harvest the crop, but there's a little left over, and a lot of times homeless people or very poor people would go out into the fields that had already been harvest it and find the little extra. This is called gleaning. And he looks out and he sees one of these people is a woman named Ruth. And she's very, very poor because her husband has died. She's a widow. She's young, but her husband has died. And Ruth decides, I'm going to take care of my aged mother-in-law. My husband has died. She has no legal responsibility to take care of her mother-in-law. But she goes, 
this is what God would want me to do. So I'm going to take care of my aged mother-in-law, even though my young husband has died. And so she's out here picking grains in the fields in Boaz's field. Now, Boaz could have gone out, he could have been rude, he could have been ruthless, he could have been demanding, and he could have said, get off my property. This is my property, you don't have any right to be harvesting my grain, it's my grain, and if I want to leave it out there, I can. But he was not rude, he was not ruthless, he was not crude, in fact, he was gentle with Ruth. And not only does he allow her to pick he says, I got enough. Let, let, her, let her pick some grain on my crops. Go ahead and let her do it. He then commends her. He compliments Ruth for taking care of her aged mother-in-law. And he compliments her. And he's very kind. And if you read the whole story, he's very gentle with this total stranger. And so then Ruth uh, responds this way. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, Ruth said to Boaz... You're very kind to me. You have made me feel better. You have made me feel better by speaking gently to me. Pause. Guys, a woman always feels better when you speak gently to her. You're listening to Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. Rick will be back in just a moment with the rest of today's lesson. You can sign up for Pastor Rick's free email devotional at pastorrick.com. That's PastorRick.com. You know, a lot of people think that the good life is looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. But Pastor Rick says trusting in material wealth and health is not enough to overcome that sense of hopelessness so many people feel deep down inside. In his DVD and study kit called The Keys to a Blessed Life, Pastor Rick examines the practical steps found in what is perhaps the greatest sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Once you've been through this six-session video series and study guide, you'll be empowered with the knowledge you need to live the amazingly hopeful and purpose-filled life God has planned for you. When you support Daily Hope Ministries with a financial gift, we'll send you a copy of this resource, which is perfect for individual or small group study. Call 800-600-5004 to get this powerful resource, or you can visit PastorRick.com. Again, that's 800-600-5004 or PastorRick.com. Here's what people just like you are saying about Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. Listening to the Daily Hope broadcast has really impacted my life in so many ways. In the practical teaching that Daily Hope offers, it's been life-changing for me. Even for someone who's been a believer their entire life, I still continue to grow. And I am so thankful for the ministry and what you guys do. What is God doing in your life through this broadcast? Email us and let us know at rick at pastorrick.com. You can listen every day to Pastor Rick's Daily Hope on this station or at pastorrick.com, the Daily Hope app, or you can listen to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening today, everybody. And let's be on the lookout for how God is working in each of our lives. Pastor Rick's Daily Hope, Monday through Friday, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Rick Warren. Once again, here's Pastor Rick Warren. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, Ruth said to Boaz, you're very kind to me. 
You have made me feel better. You have made me feel better by speaking gently to me. Pause. Guys, a woman always feels better when you speak gently to her. When you're not in a hurry, when you're not rushing, you're not rude, you're not forceful, a woman always feels better when you speak gently to her. You have made me feel better by speaking gently to me. And, and so it's going good. So Boaz invites her out to lunch. And then at lunchtime, Boaz says to Ruth, come, have a piece of bread with me and dip it in the sauce. Now you thought fondue was Swedish. <laughs> 2,000 years before anybody said the word fondue, Boaz is dipping in the sauce <laughs> with Ruth. And it says, then Boaz passed her some roasted grain to eat, a little granola, and uh, she ate it until she was satisfied, and she still had food left over. He gives her a doggy bag. Now, this is a good thing. He's being kind. He's being gentle. Now, here's an interesting thing. Out of that simple incident, because he was kind, because he was gentle, they end up becoming an item, falling in love, and getting married. Now why is that story even in the Bible? Because Ruth was not even Jewish. And it was illegal for a Jewish man, Boaz, to marry a non-Jewish woman. But he did, and God had a plan in it, and in Matthew chapter one, where it gives the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, there are four women mentioned in that genealogy, and one of them It's not even Jewish, her name is Ruth. And God used that marriage as one of the marriages to bring the Messiah into the world. In fact, uh, Ruth had a grandson and his name was King David. King David. And it all happened because Boaz was gentle with a woman he didn't even know. Now here's the point. If Boaz had been ruthless, he would have been ruthless. <laughs> I've waited all week to share that with you. Okay? Come on, that's pretty good, right? Okay? If Boaz had been ruthless, he would have been ruthless. And all of that history would not have happened. But it all started with him just being gentle. Would you write this down? Gentle men are gentlemen. Gentlemen are gentlemen. The way you become a gentleman is by being gentle. Now, that's for the guys. Let me talk to you women for just a minute. Gentleness is attractive, not just on a, on a man, but gentleness is attractive in women too. First Peter chapter three, verse four says this. Talking to women. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, I want you to circle the word unfading. God says, I want you to focus on unfading beauty. I hate to tell you this, ladies, but your beauty is gonna fade. In fact, all men and all women, our beauty fades. Some of us, our beauty started fading about year one. We were cute as babies. 
But he says, there's an unfading beauty that is attractive. And what is that unfading beauty that is attractive? The beauty of a gentle spirit. Gentleness is attractive. Number five, the fifth reason why you want to learn this quality in your life is that gentleness communicates love. Gentleness communicates love. It diffuses conflict, it disarms critics, it's persuasive, it's attractive, and gentleness communicates love. Guys, those of you who are husbands and are married, the quickest way to improve your marriage, the quickest way to improve your marriage is to start talking to your wife more gently. It'll do wonders if you'll begin to talk to your wife in a more gentle way. Colossians chapter three, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. Any fool can be selfish. Any fool can be rough. Any fool can be rude. But gentlemen are gentle men. Now, this is true not only in marriage. The key, a great marriage is simply the union of two great forgivers. Because you're gonna hurt each other a lot in life. I've been married to Kate 38 years. I've hurt her so many times, and she's hurt me so many times, but we're both great forgivers. And that's part of gentleness. Now, it's not only a key to effective marriage. Gentleness, you're gonna need this someday, is the key to effective parenting. Never discipline, I said, out of, love, out of anger or out of frustration, but always gently out of love. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not irritate your children. Do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, don't do things that make them intentionally upset. Do not exasperate your children to resentment. What does that mean? It means don't raise the standard so high there's no way they can meet it. You know, you ask for C's and uh, you ask for, uh, you know, uh, B's and they get C's, and then you ask for B's and they get B's, and then you ask for A's and you want straight A's. And, you know, so don't exasperate your kids asking for perfection in their life, but rear them tenderly, in other words, gently. Rear them tenderly, gently in the training and in the discipline and in the counsel of the Lord. I can honestly say to you that I never remember my father ever raising his voice against me growing up. Not one time. Not one time. Did he ever get angry? Of course he did. Was he ever upset with me? Of course he was upset. Did I ever really blow it and have every reason for him to get angry? Many, many times almost a daily basis. But he was a gentle man. He had strength under control. And he would not yell uh, at me. Gentleness communicates love. Number six, this is an important one. Gentleness earns respect. Proverbs 11, verse 16. Women, if you want to be respected as a woman, here's what the Bible says. A woman of gentle grace will be respected. A woman of gentle grace will be respected. That's also true of men. But you know, when I think of that verse, a woman of grace, gentle grace will be respected, I think of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was this little, I mean diminutive, barely, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, four, 
half, four and a half feet, maybe five feet tall at the most. I don't think she was even that tall. Quite frail, quite small, diminutive little Romanian nun. But she could walk into the United States Congress and put the fear of God in every power broker in that room. Why? Because gentleness earns respect. And she was earned, earned that respect. Gentleness, by the way, is a prerequisite to leadership. If you want to be a leader in the church, if you want to be a leader in government, if you want to be a leader in business, if you want to be a leader in your home, if you want to be a leader in your community, in your school, every great leader is a gentle leader. The greatest leaders of all time were the most gentle, Jesus being the supreme example. But for instance, the greatest president in our history was Abraham Lincoln. No one was more gentle than Abraham Lincoln. And he even showed gentleness in the way he treated the defeated southern states with respect and brought them back in in a gentle way. You're listening to Pastor Rick's Daily Hope. Rick will be back in just a moment to close out our time together. But first, you know a lot of people think that the good life is looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. But Pastor Rick says trusting in material wealth and health will never bring us lasting satisfaction. That's why he created the DVD and study kit called The Keys to a Blessed Life. Here's Pastor Rick to tell you more. Have you ever wondered if God has favorites? (laughs) In other words, are some people more blessed by God just because he likes them more? Well, when we read the Bible, we find that the answer is a resounding no. Instead of a fickle God who only blesses a privileged few, the Bible says that God is actually looking for people that he can bless. The problem is that we live our lives in ways that prevent God's blessing and block God's blessing and hinder God's blessing on our lives. The problem isn't with God. The problem is with us. I've learned a lot about the kind of person that God blesses. For one thing, if you're serious about having God's blessing on your life and God's blessing on your work and God's blessing on your relationships and your finances and everything else, You have to learn to do things differently than the culture around you. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says this, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways of thinking are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts." Now get this, to be blessed by God in unusual ways, you must think and act in unusual ways. In other words, in ways that are different from how you've been taught. In fact, so many of our problems come from trying to do things our ways instead of God's ways. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to death. Our ways lead to dead ends. God's ways lead to blessing and to life. As a pastor, I want God to bless your life. I want God to bless your finances, your relationships, your health. So I want you to know what brings his blessings. And may this series bless the rest of your life. Thanks. Call 800-600-5004 to get this powerful resource. Or you can visit PastorRick.com. That's 800-600-5004 or PastorRick.com. 
Be sure to join us again next time as we look into God's Word for our daily hope. This program is sponsored by Daily Hope Ministries and your generous financial support.